We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I hit that point where I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not looking for the next broadcast job anymore. Hey, we think you do a great job, but we hope we don't lose you soon. You're not going to lose me unless they want to get rid of me because I don't have a desire to go to another market. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Weston, Missouri, and Holiday Distillery for another episode of Sometimes Weekly Sports and Stuff, brought to you by Holiday Distillery and the new Ben Holiday Bottle and Bonded Bourbon. Go check it out. It, if they still have it in the liquor store near your house, go check it out. It is absolutely phenomenal and has done phenomenal things uh, since being released here just a couple of weeks ago. But we have got a special guest for everybody watching on YouTube. You already know who is sitting right here. Joel Goldberg, uh, broadcaster, speaker, author, and storyteller, I think is probably, uh, for anybody who gets into this, one of the things that we like to be known as the most uh, and be a storyteller. But Joel, appreciate you coming up and spending some time with us. Yeah, it's good to be with you, BJ. Uh, one beautiful setting. I don't have the sponsorship like you do, but <laughs> how could you not love this? Uh, we, we have not been drinking yet. That's true. That's true. So that could be we, a different show altogether, right? Sam can hook us up. Sam, That's what Sam, he's Sam doing Sam hopefully here. will hook us up. It is an off day for me from baseball. But it's interesting, too, just to, to be able to sit down with you because I think you and I have sort of known each other for a while, but <laughs> yeah. almost from other sides of the parking lot. And, you know, I've admired your work and um, you've seem to have acted like you did mine but uh, you know there aren't a lot of people and i know you're not doing that end of it but you never stop obviously um there aren't a lot of people that are lucky enough i believe to have the kind of roles that that i have that you had nfl uh baseball the sport there's just only so many of them so i think that there's i've always felt like a common bond of just understanding um, what goes into it which is much more than how do you feel today 
Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that because for the same thing, I've been watching you and respecting the way that you've done it. And I think once you get into this business a little bit and you do the jobs that not that they're the exact same, but the jobs that we've done, you grow an appreciation for the little things and how you make things that are very yeah. difficult look very easy. And I think I mentioned that on social media a couple of weeks ago uh, with one of the stories that you had told. And it was such a perfectly delivered 60 seconds yeah. of information that you probably could have spent a half an hour well, talking about. You know what? Uh, and they didn't give me a half hour or I would have. <laughs> It was uh, it, it. It's been a little bit, a little while now, but it, it still is really fresh in my mind. It was the Jose Quas story of going from FedEx driver to the big leagues, and of course, it's not quite that simple. I'll probably tell it longer here than I did on the air. But it was okay. How can you tell this? Essentially, I think what's worthy of being a mini series or a docu series or whatever we call them nowadays on. Netflix or a streaming service in 60 seconds. I think I did it in about 70 or 75 seconds. We had a little bit of a longer pitching change, which helped. But, I mean, how do you tell the story of a guy that, that was a, a minor league infielder, converted to pitcher, out of baseball, driving FedEx and working out late at night, independent ball, eventually to the big leagues and to the Royals? It was, I think, the coolest story that, that I've seen in my 15 years with the Royals. And then when you commented on it, and, and I knew, you know, you remember this too, Sometimes things go viral and you have no idea in the moment that they will. Yeah. Other times you just can kind of tell as it's happening, hey, this might this might click. Danny Duffy in the bear suit, Jordano <laughs> Ventura, ooh, baby. Like those were moments you're like, wow, that, that could. This was one even beforehand that I knew. Well, this story, when it gets out there, everyone's going to pick it up if they're paying attention and someone's always paying attention. And then when you made that comment to me, it, it meant a lot because – there, there is an art to the storytelling. And I think it's a, a more challenging art, piece of art, whatever you want to call it, when you have to do it in such a short little form there. And then, of course, it was too long, so somebody picked it up like ESPN on TikTok and changed the <laughs> 75 seconds down to a minute, which gave me great credibility with my kids to now have a, a TikTok that went viral. There you go. I, uh, I remember seeing that, and I think that was probably the thing that I struggled with the most. I can be long-winded, and I, I started as a writer and, and wanted to, to do the long-form written stuff. And you do you know, preseason games for the Chiefs, and you get maybe 20 seconds. And I'd, I'd you know, rehearse it, stick it out, and producer Ryan Galvin would be like, that was 78 seconds, you get 24. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. And he goes, figure it out as you go. Yeah. And so you, there, you do what the best you can. There's a rhythm to it. I should not. I mean, it, look, if any of my producers – current or past were watching this they would sit there and say who is who is he to talk about brevity who is he like because it is not a strong suit of mine either um, but there is I would say and and thankfully I, I don't know if they've just given up on me or they're giving me more response I don't really know but it used to be you got to be quicker you got to be quicker it's too long and now I don't, I don't even say anything anymore maybe it's a post-pandemic thing I don't know um, but there is a rhythm to it. I know there was for football, too, which was pretty much in between snaps, if possible, right? Yep. And if it bleeds over, that's fine. But one of the cardinal sins that, that guys like I think you and I can make is to step on that big touchdown pass or that big oh, home yeah. run. And so you kind of have this internal clock. I, I always try to tell producers that, um, and I'm not a script guy. I'll write down some notes. But I also, to me, every story is condensable. If I have to get out here, I can get out here if I get this in. And so there are different layers to it that I could drop out at any given point. And then if you see in my world, if you see a potential home run ball, I'm not going to stop the story if I think it's staying in the park. I can I can kind of call that. But I really don't want to be telling a story during a home run. Salvador Perez interrupted me with one the other night. 
thankfully I recognized the second it was off the bat, and I just called the home run right on the spot because you could tell. I mean, I think he'd hit it 454 feet, and you knew immediately. But that's always one of the biggest fears is, like, you've got these stories, and I think it's probably the same for you, that you really want to do the stories justice, and you always have more information that makes it on, and it all feels good. It's it's like editing a piece, writing a piece. uh, Oh, but I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. Okay, what am I losing? And then the game kind of dictates it. And so there is a, there's a, an internal rhythm to it, a little bit of pressure to it, and, and some quick decision-making. There were a handful of times in the preseason where they would throw to me in the red zone, which the producer even said before he did, it's like, this is probably a bad idea. Yep. Uh, they'd go down to a sideline hit, and I would talk over a touchdown or something, yep. and I just wasn't uh, – didn't have enough reps in doing that to know the exact best way to throw back to Trent and Ari in the booth and, and kind of stop talking or throw to it or set it up. So I'd always see it kind of happen on the, the screen. And then I get the producer in my ear yelling, which is an art that I don't know how much they talk to you as you're talking, but the art of being able to try to talk live on camera in front of a few hundred thousand, a couple million people uh, with somebody talking in your ear was something I never quite got used to. I think it's to me like the equivalent of how, everyone in this day and age it's not a good thing where our attention spans are divided so much between you know our phones a conversation the tv or whatever it is that that we're all at a point in this generation where this time of life where where it's two or three things going at once and that's what it is so it's like i don't know about for you but for me i kind of half hear what they're saying in my ear but i hear enough to be able to have the guidance but then if I get too locked into every single word, I lose my focus on where we're at or what my partner's saying or, or whatever yeah. it is. The good producers, and this is a little bit of you know inside baseball behind the scenes, um, maybe people are interested in it, I don't know, but yeah. um, the good producers don't say much in your ear or they wait for the times where their pause is. Or in my case, if my partner Jeff Montgomery's talking, that's when I'm going to get most of the instructions. There's sometimes they have no choice. Yeah. And so they have to get you there, and then they're counting. You know, To me, a countdown's easy, 10, 9, 8. Well, I don't need to sit there and listen for what's next. I know it's coming, so you just half hear it, and you're kind of starting to get that, okay, once I get down to 5, I better get out of there because they're not waiting on me. We get to commercial, it's going one yeah. way or another. So I, I think, I mean, I agree with what you said early on. That's a hard thing to understand. I think once you do it long enough, it's easy to take for granted how difficult it is because I don't even – think it's difficult anymore but I think if you were to put someone that's never done it before even if they were comfortable in front of a camera or a microphone and then have somebody talking to you while you're thinking and talking there is you know it's hard I'd never done that in my life until I did a Chiefs preseason game so I didn't have a ton of reps on TV I was more of a writer when they had first hired me Uh, but I'll never forget that I got much better when I was doing interviews because always you can ask one more question or kind of uh, elongating some of those interviews but um, then it made it really difficult. I'm listening to them, but I want to listen to what they're saying. So what my follow-up question will be something along the lines yeah. of what they just talked about. But I want to switch gears a little bit, Joel, and talk about this because you've been broadcasting Royals games since, I think, believe 2008. Eight, yeah. And you've gone through different GMs, different coaches, obviously hundreds of players. What, in being that conduit between the fans and the stories of the players and connecting that emotional fandom, I used to talk about when I was with the Chiefs all the time of, you know, my job was to connect fans with the players on an emotional level because you get access that, that nobody else gets yep. and you can give that perspective. What's the most rewarding part of that? And that was a loaded question, but just yep. what's the most rewarding part of it overall for you to have, I don't want to say the pressure of having that role, but the pride you take in being able to be that person? I think there's a couple things. I mean, one, going to the ballpark every day, um, 
not always knowing what you're going to uncover. And, and at least for me, and there are different styles of doing this, not always having an agenda. I mean, I, I don't show up at the ballpark with no clue of where I want to go, but I also understand that rarely do I end up going somewhere I expected to go or I end up going somewhere else. So, so one, I just love that sort of open-minded curiosity. And I'll give you an example as we're recording this right now. Um, it's the day after, two days after Nick Prado hit big walk-off home run, um, his first home home run. The guys were joking it was his first big league home run in the United States because his other happened in Toronto when he made the debut. And, you know, I was talking to him the day after, okay, what can I do to update this story to advance it? We know he had a big night. And he had been in the Little League World Series where he'd hit a walk-off there. And so my producer had already found a great picture the night before, and then I think everybody found it, so it was circulating. It was sort of the same facial reaction that he had as an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old as he did as a 23-year-old with, uh, with – it was the Royals' first walk-off home run of the year. It was their third walk-off, and so it was a big moment. And so I you know, said, hey, was your family paying attention, watching? You know, yeah, they were back home in Huntington Beach. I said, "Is your, was your dad part of that Little League World Series? He goes, yeah, he was the coach. I said, would, would you mind giving me your number or his number? I'd, I'd love to call him. He said, great. So I, I called his dad you know, two hours before our game, and – we just start hearing all these different stories and all this different insight and some of his moments growing up and on and on. And it was like, I didn't know that that was going to be happening that day. Uh, but the wheels start turning a little bit. And now suddenly you realize in that moment, I, I am giving fans a chance to get to know Nick Prado, the person, yeah. at, a, at a deeper level than what they're going to get um, really anywhere else, including in the booth, right? I mean... You know, you're doing those games, and they're calling those games upstairs. They're going to get to know the players, those Chiefs players, those Royals players, very well, too. But we have the opportunity to get there on a deeper level. We have the opportunity to call the parents, to, to talk to the coach, to do all of those type of things. Um, and then just seeing those type of stories develop over the years and, and to be a part of them. Salvador Perez is easy because, for all the obvious reasons, but... You know, I like to talk a lot about the late Jordano Ventura, who, uh, and, and I know that this is probably the case for you in your Chiefs days, too, where you go into the locker room or the baseball clubhouse and you see a side of a personality that you say, I don't think everybody really knows this. Mm-hmm. At least in our world on baseball, oftentimes they don't know it because of the language barrier. And what I saw in Jordano was a big, fun personality, as much as he was involved in a lot of, you know, beam brawls and that type of stuff um, and had a bad reputation for that. He had the guys laughing all the time. He was always messing behind the scenes with me. And, and then you start saying, boy, if people understood this side. So now you go into this role, and this is to me um, what I love more than anything. You go into the role of building relationships and trust. That, that and I know you agree with this. That part of this reporting job I, I'm, I'm still referring to you like you're doing it but but <laughs> you right. but you you get it and yeah. and you lived it and and i think you're still living i love it, that i love that part of it it's my favorite part it's my favorite part job. too is yeah we're there to tell you about wins and losses and stats and and do all of that but more than anything we're there to tell the story beyond just the game there aren't again a lot of people that get to do that you don't get to do that well hopefully well without building the trust in the relationship because that's when they let their guard down because they trust you. And so I got there with Jordano Ventura. I I was the first ever English interview that he did without a translator. And and then he would semi-regularly, he would always fight me on it, 
um, do interviews with me in English without the translator. And so as some of those clips, you know, the ooh baby went viral, and as people started to get a feel for him, yes, they would have mourned the death of, uh, of anyone that loses their life at too, too early of an age. But I, I felt like they knew him a little bit better because of the trust and access that he gave me, in which case that then allows me to do my job. And, and that to me is something, you know, when I quote-unquote signed up for this, when I dreamed of being a broadcaster, I never understood that. Now I take a lot of pride in it. Yeah, my journey was a little bit different in that, you know, I came up kind of through the, the fan blogging and just I had my journalism degree, had a job actually with a collegiate summer baseball team right out of college uh, that I was working for and so didn't really use my degree and then just kind of worked my way back into journalism through trying to connect with other fans when I moved out to California uh, and joined a blog out there and getting the opportunity and I'll never take for granted the fact that the Chiefs took an opportunity on somebody that did not have a traditional media background mm-hmm. in the way that a lot of people um, did especially for for that role at that time and the ability to go in and just get to know the coaches and the players at to your point at a normal level and you don't see them as professional athletes you see them as that guy that you kind of work with a little bit you see them in locker room get to know their personalities a little bit and over time I got to see guys are more comfortable when I was around and they could just kind of show their personalities a little bit and then you have the pressure of my job is to kind of portray this story and this um you know give this perspective that people can't find a lot of places because similar with royals similar with chiefs is that everybody can watch a game and have an opinion on what was good what was bad that's so much of content nowadays but there are very few people that have the access and the perspective and the relationships uh to be able to give fans that insight that they can't find anywhere else and be able to do that well and the people who take pride in it it's easy to see with you not only the just the ability to do it but the way that when you do the interviews with the players, that their their guard is down, and you can see it post game when you do the stuff. It's just they're they're easy, they're comfortable yeah. around you, and that's a that's a nuance that uh, I don't think people uh, should take for granted when they're watching you do what you do, uh, and you've been doing it for so long. And I, I want to ask this question now because when I was with the Chiefs, they were good from the moment I first got there. You know, I got there in 2014. Andy Reid's second year, they were already going to be pretty good. They were good the time I was there. You've seen downs and ups, and you've seen the whole and back to downs. Yeah, <laughs> back, what, I was going to say getting through it or getting yeah. back to it uh, right now because they've got some young talent. Yeah. A lot of reasons to be excited. Uh, but what's been the hardest part since you first joined there of just in general your job as it relates to connecting fans with the stories? Yeah, it's not really so much the losses. I mean, I think that a lot of people, based on the the people that I hear from, friends, family, whatever it is, um, that'll start to check on my well-being. And my partner, Jeff Montgomery, gets the same thing. And I, I try to remind everybody, you, you know, they're, they're paying me to talk about baseball. Like, it's always easier when a team's winning. But let, let's not make this out to sound like I've got a rough life because a team is losing. Yeah. How are you doing? Even my mom, she stopped eventually over the years. But, you know, like, oh, sorry about the loss. Like, that one I never get. Like, hey, sorry that they lost. Like, Look, I wish they won, but I, I'm going to go home and sleep okay. And I don't mean to make light of it, but there are and, – and I got this lesson from Paul Splitter for my first year who, who you know ended up being a mentor for me in the three-plus years that we worked together before he passed. He was so even keel, so prepared, uh, loved the game so much. I mean, he loved the game as much as anybody, respected the game as much as anybody as I knew. Certainly the Royals' all-time wins leader, very blue-collar, tough-edged, but – he pulled me aside, uh, I don't know, one night after a, another bad loss in 2008. And I'd come from working in St. Louis where they were winning most nights. So I wasn't used to a 100-loss type of team. 
And and you do know, like look, we're fans, yeah. right? We're not fans, and this is probably still true to you now, even though you can let your guard down a little bit. But it's work, and I think that once you get programmed for it being work, you'll, like you'll never see football the same way yeah. because you you've got a different perspective to it. And so I'm not a great fan. I'm too analytical. I'm still thinking of storylines, even when I'm not working. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's the price to pay for getting to talk about football, baseball, whatever, every single day. If that's the price, we're doing just fine. But he pulled me aside and he said, there are a lot of important people that are paid a lot of money to lose sleep over the losses, and you're not one of them. Yeah. At the wow. time, I thought, what, is he, is he telling me not to care? And I was like, no. I got the message. He's saying you got a job to do. Uh, and you can't let your energy go down because the team is struggling. Um, now, look, your energy, especially for 162, where we do generally 150 to 158, 159 a year, you're going to have the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs, but it really can't come on, uh, come across that way on the air. Yeah. Uh, there's no question that after a win, we're going to be bouncing more than after a loss, but you can't be moping. You can't be sitting there. And I'm always reminded, you could throw out at any given moment on social media, and I did this once. We had a game that ended at 3.14 in the morning in St. Louis, and I think that one or another one at 2 in the morning, I said, is anybody watching? And you would have thought that I would have accused people of not caring because, what do you, of course we're watching. We're up right now. And I'm, this, this early? Someone's always watching. Someone always yeah. cares. As much as we hear on social media from the people that say, I'm done. Yeah. Never watching this again. <laughs> I, I, I well, I'll probably hear from you again in two or three days. You're not done, but if you want to be done, that's fine, and we'll welcome you back when you come back. Somebody's always watching. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, for me, it was, you know, getting upset about losses. Like, I didn't play. And I, I didn't play in this game, but same point, uh, we're the ones in front of the cameras a lot of the time, you know, Mitch and myself. And I learned a lot from him about how, because he had gone through teams that when they had struggled and they had gotten better and all of that. But um, I have too much respect for the work that goes in. I'm sure you have the same as you get to see the amount of time and effort. You Everybody sees him on game day, but you see him hours before the game starts and taking care of their bodies and doing all of these things where it's like. They say, they say these guys don't care. These guys don't. That's what drives me. That bothers me more than care. anything anyone else says. Like these guys put so much into this, so much time and effort. And with football, it's like hours and hours of practice. And I think we tried to break down like the number of hours that are put into training and practices and and uh, seeing the athletic trainers and all of that compared to like actual gameplay and how much time goes in for every second you're on the field. It's like thirty hours yeah. worth of work to get ready for that. And it's like these guys don't care. I'm like, 
come, they come get this perspective. Look, some guys care more than others, but I've yet to find a professional athlete that doesn't care. I get it. Body language, you see something, you see a guy laughing and screwing around during a loss, or you're seeing a guy that's more of a... Look, not everybody is a run-through-the-wall type of person. Yeah. Carlos Beltram was not a run-through-the-wall type of person, right? And, and every team is going to have those guys that just look... Michael A. Taylor is, is one of the most graceful, if not the most graceful, center fielders in baseball. But he's not a high-energy guy. He just kind of glides out there and does his thing. But yet... If a team is losing or somebody's 0 for 4 and they're like that, they're immediately accused of not caring. And that one drives me drives me nuts because it's like these guys work. They, they all work. Again, some work harder than others because they're wired in a way. The Salvador Perez's that, you know, Michael Jordan worked harder than anyone else, at least from what everyone says. He didn't have to, but he did. Kobe Bryant worked harder than everyone else. Not everybody can work at that level, but I don't know guys that won't. And look, there are some bad guys out there. Um, been lucky enough not to really come across too many of them. You see guys that, that, that do mail it in from time to time. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying that these guys work hard and they put it in, and oftentimes when they're accused of that not being the case, it's just... It's a perception. And I get yeah. it, too. It's just a frustration on the fan part. Yeah. They, they, they want their team to win. And it, to be fair, everybody has an opinion. They don't have the perspective. They don't see the things that we necessarily see. Well, then I put it on myself. Like, I haven't done a good job of explaining right. how yeah. much work these guys We're the ones it. that have that. And I don't think anybody who's been around Andy Reid, I don't think you could not love football and play for Andy Reid for any period of time. And I used to talk about that with whether it was John Dorsey and then Brett Veach uh, around the time of the NFL draft of how do you determine the difference between a guy who loves the fact that he's good at football and a guy who just loves the game of football. And the best it was ever explained is the guy talking to the strength coaches in college and the position coaches in college, like which guy is going as hard as he can during the second practice in August when nobody's watching, there's no NFL scouts there. Who's the guy then that is making sure that all his teammates are doing the right thing? Like that's the guy who's going to be successful when you get to being a professional when you get at that level. Right. Salvador Perez is the best example in my world because people don't see that after thumb surgery and it's 100 degrees outside and so the players aren't on the field – Really just so that they could stay in the air conditioning, do their cage work, do everything, conserve that energy. And he's out there for 30 minutes to an hour every single day throwing ball after ball to the bases or working on different catching techniques as quickly as he could without messing up the thumb. And then when people start to – this is probably more of a Twitter thing, but I'm sure it pops into some people's heads. Why is he coming back so quickly? They're rushing him back. Football's a little different if you got that one big game, but even still over the course of a season, you generally don't rush guys back. Trainers, I always say that Royals trainers are are, are very careful and conservative. Aren't most trainers pretty careful and conservative? It's their livelihood. They're the ones that if they bring them back too early are at fault. It's it's always easier and safer just to to, to just, just pause a beat. So... When they said six to eight weeks on Salvador Perez, I thought it's going to be five to six. Yeah. And, and I've been taught over and over again, not because it's, he's physiologically different. I think he might be a little bit. It's because he's going to outwork everyone. And look, they throw out six to eight weeks because if you throw out five and it doesn't work out, that doesn't, oh, why is he behind? Yeah. Why is he behind? So you can't really, it's hard to please everybody. Yeah. But when guys come back to play, unless it's a do-or-die playoff game or whatever it is, you know, think about hockey players in the playoffs. Once they get to the end, everybody's playing with massive injuries. 
that's true in football. That's true in all the sports. You get to halfway through the year and everybody's playing through something. But generally, unless it's a do or die, they're not bringing them back early. So when they come back, it is because of all of the hard work. And so to watch Salvador Perez out there every single day and have fans saying, what's the point? Well, okay, so if you said, ah, he's not going to play for the rest of the year, they're in last place. Oh, he's mailing it in, just collecting a paycheck. Well, he's not a collect-a-paycheck type of guy. He loves the game, and this guy loves the game, whether you're in last place or first place. Um, Shouldn't we be celebrating that? Yeah, it's what these guys do. That's the way they're wired. It's what they've been doing their entire lives. And I want to give it a chance just because it's so recent that you had a chance to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, and the Buck O'Neill stuff. Just what did it mean to you? And I know had a chance to be around Buck a little bit. Just what, what did it mean to you to, to get that opportunity to do that with Bob and Keona? And everything? Yeah, it was, it was remarkable. And, you know, I, I got here in 08. He passed in 06. And, and in the times that I was in and out of town, which wasn't always because in St. Louis I shared those duties with other, other guys. So I, I don't know that I have ever, ever, had every trip um, with the Cardinals. I didn't. Um, I never met Buck. Uh, yet I, I, I firmly believe this. I believe I know Buck better than any person I've never met because of the incredible storytelling and the work of Bob Kendrick and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And then we're, you know, being the storyteller. um, And by the way, when a team is struggling and losing, those great stories always help. Because then you're not talking about another loss. I mean, you're already talking about that stuff, but um, I, I wouldn't call it a diversion, but I would call it, you know, something more pleasant at times, as long as it's relevant. Um, well, the Negro Leagues, to me, are always relevant. Yeah. And we're so lucky that we happen to have the museum and the start of the Negro Leagues all in our own backyard because those stories could be told and are told in every baseball market in the country. Yeah. We just happen to be the ones that have the greatest access to Bob and the museum. So I, I always tell people that Bob has been a more frequent guest of any non-player in the history of my time here. And I would argue that he has been a more frequent guest than most players because players come and go, Bob is still here. And so two, three, four times a year, if it's dressed to the nines or some kind of Negro Leagues Day or Jackie Robinson Day or whatever it is, or even just promoting something in the museum, we have him on. He's that rare guy that you say, well, we've already told that story before. No, no, no. We can hear the same story over and over again, or we're happy to hear more stories because he's such a dynamic storyteller and a little bit of, I feel, privilege too and uh, responsibility to, to help be a bit of the, um, the mechanism to tell those stories and to make sure that people continue to hear them. So when we knew the buck was going in, um, I mean, I've only missed really one game in, in 15 years that we've televised um, for Death in the Family in 08. Um, I went to Kuwait with George Brett, Mike Sweeney, Reggie Sanders, Reggie Sanders, and Brett Saberhagen on a USO tour <laughs> in September of um, 2018. We were going to broadcast and did broadcast a Royals game in the middle of the night with the troops over there on September 11th. Uh, but I was still working. Mm-hmm. So filing reports, all that stuff. Um, so this was kind of the, the second time that that had happened, the, the um, quote-unquote on assignment, which really never means anything because I'm always with the team. Yeah. So went away for three days. I said to our guys, we've got we've to cover this. We spend more time with the Negro Leagues. It's just as much a Kansas City story as the Royals. Yeah. It, it helped that the Royals were fully invested in this. John Sherman was going. And then, you know, like, I mean, one of my heroes growing up was Bob Costas, um, who I've met a handful of times before. And now I'm moderating a panel with 
Bob Costas on it, with Joe Poznanski, one of the best sports writers in the world, yeah. with Kendrick, who, you know, of course I mentioned, and then Lee Smith, Hall of Fame closers on that panel for a brief moment, and then he had to go to another event. And I'm running that thing, let alone chasing all these stories all weekend long. I mean, it was it was a dream weekend in terms of a work assignment. Yeah, I think you look at the Negro Leagues Museum, and uh, most people listening to this have probably been down there. If you haven't, you absolutely should go. Hopefully it's not one of those places that you just take for granted knowing it's right here. We had uh, Bob Kendrick and Keanu Sinks up here a couple of months ago uh, to talk about the things that they had coming up and going on. But I don't think Bob Kendrick's a guy that you could put a microphone in front of too many nope. times. Uh, you put it on and you just sit back and, and enjoy what's coming out because you always learn something. It's always told in a different way. And the way that he can capture your intention from every word that he's saying, it's so impactful. Um, wanted to give you an opportunity also to talk about your podcast, mm. which isn't necessarily royal specific. I always see it when I'm checking out LinkedIn. I always see it on there, but you're rounding the bases. You talk to different leaders around Kansas City. Yeah. Just give you an opportunity. What was the reason behind starting that, and what has that done for you outside of baseball uh, and just kind of being a you know a, a champion of Kansas City community leaders? You know, it was it was very accidental, but also very intentional. Accidental in the sense that. You know, I, I always had my off-seasons off, and I, I would, um, you know, find a game here and there to do, but, I, you know, I, I never went and linked up with Chiefs. That would be hard to do, or KU, or K-State, or anything like that, and so I'd do a game here and there, some random stuff, high school, college, and then I, I stumbled into, actually, it's a previous guest of yours, Jason Kander. He was at the time Secretary of State. We were friendly through, just he loved the Royals, and so... Um, connecting that way, and I was doing a high school basketball tournament in Columbia. Went out to dinner with him afterwards. He asked what I'd been up to. Told him I was speaking to some group about whatever, and he said, you do much of that? I said, no, not much. And he said, you should start a speaking business. And so then it was his wife, Diana, that connected me with someone because they said, you got to write a book. If you're a speaker, you got to write a book. <laughs> so I sit down with this woman, uh, friends of the Canders, and um, she says, you're not ready to write a book. And I said, thank goodness, because I have no idea what I'd write it about. She said, but you know how to broadcast. Why don't you start a podcast? Start telling people stories. Start focusing on leadership and the different topics, culture that you're going to be talking about. You'll be amazed that you can build content, build a brand, and do all of these things. So, like, okay, so I'm going to interview all these people outside of sports for the most part. Well, I know people do a little bit of research and tell their stories. And, and then... Uh, pretty early on, I thought I'm going to ask three baseball-themed questions to every guest um, without making it too baseball-y. That's not a word, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, what's the biggest home run you've hit in your career? And I would have to tell some of these guests, I'm not talking about on the baseball field. They say, well, back when I was in college, I'm like, no, but you were a CEO. No, no, no. Um, what, what's the biggest home run you've hit? What's the biggest swing and miss you've taken? And what is small ball, meaning the little things that add up to the big results? In the baseball world, the bunts, the sacrifices, the defense, what doesn't show up? Uh, in football, it, it, it's those things that don't show up in the box score, right? Um, and, and so in life, in business, it's building trust. It's the relationships. It's, it's the little subtle things that you and I were talking about. Yeah. Then eventually went on to write a book called Small Ball, Big Results, and now the podcast is doing great and the speaking and the books and all that. So it's never really expected all of that, and then it kind of fell in my lap and just kind of became intentional with it. It's been awesome to follow as somebody that understands a little bit uh, about how difficult it is to be how good you are at what you do and uh, the last question I want to ask you and it's one of those you know easy setup softball questions but just in general you know you have kind of created this this platform this niche for yourself within Kansas City and then you can't find a, a 
sports fan in Kansas City that doesn't know you and doesn't know your work in general just what does that mean to you to be given that platform yeah. that you've worked so hard through your life and, and um, learning a little bit about you you know broadcasting to your teachers you know when you were a kid yeah, and all those yeah. things you wanted to do this what does it mean to you to do that in a community like this that that uh, supports the people that do good work it's um you know humbling of course it's mind-boggling really because I think that that it's certainly part of the journey, but it's not anything that I ever expected. I mean, even going back to the whole, you know, you're, you're, you're not paid to lose sleep over the wins and losses. Um, I just got into all this because I love talking about sports. I, I didn't know that it was going to be baseball early on. It was baseball, football, hockey, basketball, and very early on, a lot of high school sports and community sports in small towns in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, and I loved doing all of that then, but of course, really wanted to be in the big leagues, whether that was NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever, NHL. And so that's what you want to do, right? I mean, there aren't too many people in this business that dislike sports or don't love sports. And then you start to get some traction in the community, which, you know, this was my fifth job, fourth city, and it just felt different in Kansas City. It, it was good in St. Louis, but something was different in Kansas City for me. Maybe it's just it's an amazing place to live. But pretty early on, I hit that point where I was like, you know what, I'm good. I'm not looking for the next broadcast job anymore. Hey, we think you do a great job, but we hope we don't lose you soon. You're not going to lose me unless they want to get rid of me because I don't have a desire to go to another market. And then the itch of maybe improving or doing more came from the business and the podcast and the speaking. And, I mean, as we're talking this morning, I, I spoke to a group at Arrowhead this morning. Nothing to do with football, but um, a, a pet supply manufacturing company doing a full day of, of stuff with their employees there. And to think that I can leverage some of what I've learned through my job to help them be better with theirs, never would have thought of that. To be able to um, walk around town and, and, and hear people say, hey, we watch you guys every night and all that, I could have never really envisioned that. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah. you don't dream it up this way. Um, but I think, you know, when you stay around this long, hopefully you're doing something right. They haven't gotten rid of you. And, and, and we do, and this is one of the most humbling things, we become part of people's families. We're coming into their living rooms every single night, and they're choosing. They don't have to. They can flip the channel, and sometimes they do. They're choosing to bring us in there every single night. That's not anything that I could have ever envisioned. Yeah, we can confirm that everything at Holiday Stiller is still okay yeah. after what's going on behind us. It's an us, off day but... here, right? I mean, it's an <laughs> yeah. off day. I'm talking like baseball. They're closed today, right? So, I think they're getting at somebody over there is getting after it with something. Well, I'm going to say, like, this is when all the work is done behind the scenes. Yes, you can hear them getting ready to ship some more bourbon out. Yeah, and so. on that note, we're going to go grab some bourbon ourselves. Uh, we appreciate Joel Goldberg for joining us on this episode of Sometimes Weekly Sports and Stuff. If you're looking for a getaway about 45 minutes from the Kansas City area, come up to Western Missouri, come up to Holiday Distillery, get the tour, visit the event center, which we're hanging out in right now. You got the, the cave right here where they yeah. show uh, the eight minute video that gives you the history of Holiday Distillery and Ben Holiday and the original Stagecoach King and everything that you can learn about what makes these grounds and the limestone springs underneath this so special. Very similar to what you would find in Kentucky. Uh, it's a little hidden gem uh, just outside of Kansas City. Come check it out. And again, we appreciate you, Joel, for joining us. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.